everyone. Welcome to the Hemigrow Farmer podcast with your host, Larry Cooper. Today, we're speaking with Lyndon Smith, President and CEO of Biohumanetics, the maker of Humigrow, Humigrow Turf, Probiotic Solutions, Fertigold Organics, and Mesa Verde Humates product lines on the topic of the current state of agricultural biostimulant regulation and oversight. Last year, BHN won the 2019 Biostimulant Impact Award presented by Agribusiness Global and its parent company, Meister Media Worldwide. Lyndon, first of all, congratulations on winning the Biostimulant Industry Impact Award. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> it was quite a surprise to us, as, as we've talked about before. So biostimulants are a hot topic in ag right now, and today I have four areas I'd like to cover with you. Let me, let me ask you those four questions, and then we'll go back into them in detail. So okay. what are biostimulants in agriculture, and how are they defined? What role do biostimulants play in the BHM product line? What's your personal involvement in the biostimulant industry and trade associations? And what's going on in the U.S. and around the world in terms of biostimulant regulation and oversight? Let's go back to the first one and start there. What are biostimulants in agriculture and how are they defined? You know, uh, that's a great question. Biostimulants are anything that used to be called snake oil, (laughs) moon juice, ant horn shavings, or the like. Ant horn <laughs> Sure. We'll take it. We'll try it. But uh, but there is a, a full definition. I'll read the one that we like the best. But just to give you a broader landscape of, of what uh, biostimulants are in terms of the world of biostimulants, ha- have been defined as uh, acids, which mean like acids coming from humic substances, which would be like fulvic acid, humic acid, those types of things. They're talking about amino acids and other types of organic acids, uh, fatty acids, lipids, that type of thing. And that's one area where we clearly fall. Another area where we fall is extracts. And those include extracts from like seaweed, kelp, polysaccharides, the phenols, the polyphenols, any of those kind of organic extracts, chitin, chitosin, polyamines. Anyway, those are the carboxyls. Those are the kinds of extracts. And we're also in that. So the acids we fall in with our dry material, the extracts we fall in with both uh, the acids and the extracts uh, in our liquid materials. So kind of complex there. Uh, those are two circles on the broader landscape. The other two are uh, microbials, which we're not really dealing with microbials in terms of selling a an inoculum or a live uh, bacteria or fungi. Uh, but we are working with the microbials in terms of what's inside them. So uh, we're selling uh, naturally occurring through the algae that we work with and through other microbials that we're working with. Uh, We're killing them, we're lysing their cells, if you will, and getting the gamish or the the stuff that's inside the intracellular uh, complex chemistries that are inside those microbials, we are getting those out. So in terms of that, we are doing microbes, but we're not doing microbes in terms of selling an active, uh, alive bacteria or fungi. And then the last one is this, the other circle is called other. And uh, that includes 
uh, everything from inorganic salts, beneficial elements, elements that are not the 617 elements that are uh, on the periodic chart identified for uh, for growth. They're including phosphites. They're including enzymes or enzyme ex- extracts. They're including protein, hydrolysates, uh, those types of things are all being included in this other category. So in reality, at Biohumanetics, we are using a little bit of everything. Nitrogenous compounds are considered other. So again, we're using a little bit of everything to make up what we would call our biostimulant group or to make up what we call our microcarbon technology. And so one or more of those are contained in every one of our products. The foundation of all of our liquid products for the Humagro and Fertile Gold sides have the extracts and and other beneficial elements that are contained in that uh, those groups. So in the broader sense, uh, there's not a product that we send out that is not biostimulant based or a true biostimulant in and of itself. So hopefully that kind of answers that one. I don't know. So would it be fair to kind of lump all that down to just about anything that is derived from life that has a beneficial effect on crop growth would be considered a biostimulant? That's certainly the easiest answer. I will read uh, the the answer that we like the very best, and then I'll read you the uh, European Union answer, the one that was done by EBIC over in European Union. The Europeans, I'll just comment here, are a little further ahead, a little bit more down the road, if you will, on defining biostimulants. So let me start with that one. Uh, They say that plant biostimulants contain substances and are microorganisms whose functions when applied to plants or to the soil is to stimulate natural processes to enhance or benefit nutrient uptake, nutrient efficiency, tolerance to abiotic stress, and crop quality. I do like that one. It's not the one that we would promote for the U.S., but we do like that one. It's simpler, it's uh, easier to understand, and straightforward and to the point. Whereas on the USDA side, the USDA has come up with a couple of alternatives that they're giving to Congress. We particularly like the first one, which says, A plant biostimulant is a naturally occurring substance. It's synthetically derived equivalent or a microbe that is used for the purpose of stimulating natural processes in plants or in the soil in order to, among other things, improve nutrients and or water use efficiency by plants, help plants tolerate abiotic stress, or improve characteristics of the soil as a medium for plant growth. So it does all of that is what they're saying, parenthetically. Then I go back to the the quote it continues by saying, the characteristics may be physical, chemical, and or biological. The plant biostimulant may be used either by itself or in combination with other substances or microbes for this purpose. And so the USDA comes up with that one. Uh, there is an alternative number two. I won't take the time to read it. It just goes about it a little differently, but still gets to the end the end of what we're we're trying to say you know what you want to do in the definition is you want to be as broad as possible because if you narrow it then you're taking out somebody's 
livelihood out of the definition. So anyway, uh, that kind of gives you an idea of how they're defined today and uh, where the regulatory procedure is going. I'll explain more detail on that one. But certainly, biohumanetics plays a very important role. We're, we're wanting to be on the front end of this wave because if we're not, then we're going to get caught behind. And we want to be riding the wave and uh, we want to be able to state clearly what we really are, which is uh, a true biostimulant player. And part of the reason for doing this podcast, and, and you'll get into in a few minutes, I'm sure, is that in the United States, there's still a lot of a lot going on in terms of determining who's going to have oversight, what the regulations are, what the definitions are. All of that is still up in the air right now, correct? That's correct. So I'll, I'll move to question number three, which is uh, our personal involvement with the biostimulant industry and associations. We have been a member of EBIC, uh, which is the European Union group that helped fashion the biostimulant movement there. And so we had uh, early involvement there, but then we've been more active in the U.S. as we've come to develop these USDA and uh, and the, the response back to Congress. So uh, in that sense, we're heavily involved in the uh, board of Directors for Humic Product Trade Association and have a great involvement there. Uh, we're also involved in the Fertilizer, Ma- the Fertilizer Institute, TFI, and uh, what's going on with TFI in terms of uh, the plant biostimulant movement uh, within the TFI, the Fertilizer Institute. Uh, we've also been involved in the BIC, which is Biostimulant Industry Coalition, and involved in those definitions. Early on, we were part of the USDA uh, group that uh, put together the format for an industry response to the USDA. And uh, so we continue to be heavily involved. We also serve on the board of directors for uh, human, for ARA, the Ag Retailers Association. So we're heavily involved on the national level and a little bit less so on the international level currently, but most of that uh, has already been defined. So uh, that kind of fills you in. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting. Oh, another organization that we're heavily involved in is the International Humic Substances Society. And uh, and that's an international group that that meets uh, every couple of years and and we attend those meetings and participate in those uh, research and and development uh, type materials. I'll also comment that one of our PhDs on staff, Dr. Rich Lamar, uh, was one of the authors of what's been called the Lamar Method for determining humic and fulvic acid. And that's a little bit more uh, detail portion of, of the whole broader biostimulant group. But as such, with HPTA uh, leading the charge, uh, we've had great success with the AFCO which is the Association for American Plant Food Officials, uh, which means all the state regulators are attending those meetings. They're um, uh, once or twice a year uh, meetings, and we're involved in that. And uh, so in terms of defining the humic and fulvic 
acid and humic substances, the HPTA has moved a lot further ahead than the biostimulants in terms of AVCO, where we already have definitions in those bodies, uh, the, the AVCO uh, language. We have definitions already defined for humic substances, for uh, fulvic acid, humic acid, and uh, the hydrophilic uh, humic fraction. So again, HPTA has moved forward on the humic and fulvic side even further into the AFCO definitions that are being taken, that can be relied upon by USDA and others uh, going down the future. So I think I've kind of defined, help, help me out here, Larry, if I defined good enough, one, two, and three. <laughs> so we've been, we've been involved in the biostimulant business for 45 plus years. Oh, good. Yep. Uh, and we're actively involved in just about every player in the country that has anything to do with biostimulant development, so to speak. So let's then go ahead and jump into, with that said, what's going on around the world in terms of regulation and oversight, other than the short answer being a mess? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As I've mentioned, the European Union is by far the most advanced in defining and coming up with regulations uh, for what a plant biostimulant is and defining it and regulating it in terms of their uh, European Union. The rest of the world is really latecomers to that effort. And so right now in the next two years, 2023 uh, is the drop dead time. But in the next few years, then the European Union will be coming up with regulations that outline and tell us what we have to do in order to fall into their definition of a plant biostimulant. Currently in the EU, you have to register a product with an individual country. You have to register it with the EU through the REACH registration, chemistry registration uh, authorities in Belgium. And so it's quite complicated to get anything done in the EU, and they really have not had a way for those of us who claim to be biostimulants to be able to register our products in this new regime, this new regulate, regulatory uh, scheme that will be, de- it's yet to be determined, but it is set up to be determined and should be done in the next three years. On the U.S. side, we're a little bit later coming to the table. Uh, and I'll just uh, I'll share that timeline in just a second, but we're still probably uh, at least five years, and if not eight years away from really having a biostimulant uh, regulatory platform to be able to say we are done with biostimulants in the United States. But that is the move right now. We're moving toward that. The current administration with USDA has been moving that direction. The Congress has given us the authority to move that direction. Uh, Future administrations could halt all of it, and it all goes away uh, at the drop of a dime. But uh, currently, there is a uh, framework for identifying that. I'll just start with what happened first in the United States to make this all kick off. Uh, Basically, in the fall of 2018, there was a new farm bill passed by the Congress at that time. And in that, in that farm bill, one of the things that they provided for 
was for a definition of plant biostimulant and a regulatory reform look at what that might uh, be and what it might look like in the future. And so the first thing that was mandated on that was for industry to get together, for the USDA to go out to industry and figure out what would happen. In December of 18, the Farm Bill was signed by the president. Um, It was actually passed in November. Prior to that, in May of 18, the industry solicited the USDA to participate in coming up with a biostimulant timeline, a, a biostimulant kickoff. And in 20, in July of 18, USDA joined into the industry's push. And then that became part of the farm bill in the fall of 18, signed by the president in December of 18. So in January of 19, then USDA came back to industry and said, okay, we want you to form these industry groups and come up with a recommended framework for the USDA to go back and report to Congress, which Congress gave them one year to come back with that. So from January until about May, these working groups got together and did some things. And then industry itself or the organizations from industry took the working group recommendations and created a a stronger framework and uh, gave to the USDA a recommendation from industry that was done uh, in the summer, June of 19. So industry made recommendations for the framework for USDA to give a report to Congress. And then in December of 19, the USDA went ahead and gave that report to Congress. So the industry report to the USDA Uh, had a lot of our uh, recommendations that we liked. We gave input on some of the language and uh, participated in all the industry groups that were giving that. And then from June of 19 until December, the USDA would come back to industry and we would give a few tweaks and twiggers. But basically on December 20th of 19, then the USDA filed its answer to Congress or report to Congress, as it stated, giving Congress uh, basically six options of what that would look like and, and a few options for definitions. So the USDA, in their wisdom, took all this input and created several options and several alternatives uh, to, the, to the Congress rather than telling Congress, here's what we recommend. They took the political approach and came back with all these options. Of that, there were six options that were determined and came back with to Congress uh, since December of 2019. Then Congress has gone out and tried to feel, okay, what's got the most broad appeal uh, across everything? And the option that they've come back with or they're leaning to right now is option number three, which gives us a regulatory option that state legislated, state rulemaking defines the plant biostimulant and comes up with some kind of a uniform national labeling. It's based on a model bill for the states and it's federally facilitated, but not 
not exactly uh, federally mandated. So option number three is the one that USDA, EPA, FDA, NASDA really like, and that's the one that's being pushed right now. So help me understand, you mentioned FDA and EPA. I usually think of those people getting involved when something potentially dangerous is going on. What kind of concerns does Congress or people in general have about biostimulants that they might be dangerous? Congruent to this whole push with USDA that was mandated by Congress in November of 2018, the EPA, the US EPA, came out with their own draft guidelines of what this should be and what it what EPA wanted to control. And basically, they reached out and grabbed onto almost everything that's continued to bio considered a biostimulant under industry and USDA and tried to grab that under their realm under FIFRA. And so there be there began to be a fight between which, EPA which normally has more to do with pesticides, right? That's correct. Yeah. EPA is normally about the dangerous substances that are in the uh, in used in agriculture. And so uh, EPA <laughs> in their broad reach uh, incited a revolt from industry to not implement these draft guidelines. However, uh, those draft guidelines are still on the books and still creating problems. In fact, in a recent AFCO meeting, we learned that several of the states have adopted the EPA draft guidelines and said, look, you can't register that in our state. You have to go to EPA and get it registered uh, through FIFRA under their regulation uh, in this draft guideline. Uh, It would create so much complication. And can you imagine the organic movement having to have a substance that's EPA registered in order to use on an organic crop? It just makes no sense. The organic growers are going to say, wait a minute, if it has to be regulated by EPA, I can't use it in organics. How organic can, How it, organic be? <laughs> can it be if EPA is registering it? And so there's still this war, this tension, if you will, uh, I'll, we'll call it tension, between EPA and USDA. Uh, it hasn't totally played out yet, but where I was going to go next is... Uh, from USDA coming back to industry and saying option number three is what we want, industry has come back and said, could it be possible that there is a 3B? And 3B (laughs) option is uh, what we've uh, termed is uh, option three with some of the elements of option four, which was what industry proposed in the first place. And so that would mean a federally mandated uh, direction with federal federal oversight. It would mean FIFRA being amended and the whole Plant Protection Act being amended. It would also mean federal rulemaking uh, in addition to just federal reg, uh, legislation. And so uh, industry has put together a letter that went back to uh, USDA and to EPA stating what we would like to see is this option 3B, which includes all of option three, which is what USDA wants and these other entities. But it also includes some of option four, which is what industry wanted. We don't know where that will go yet. It's been submitted. It's being 
revised. It's being uh, it's being looked at uh, by USDA. But we don't know exactly where that will go from here. So that kind of brings you up to date on everything that's going on in the U.S. It, it brings you up to date on what AFCO has done with the EPA guidelines. And it's, uh, it's sharing with you this, this tension that currently exists between USDA and EPA. There is a third ask that industry is making, and that is for uh, Congress to establish in this year's uh, budget, uh, one position at USDA that would be kind of the czar of biostimulants, giving that czar some regulatory ability to uh, sort through all of these various things and make uh, stronger recommendations to Congress, one, and also be able to try to control a little bit EPA on the other hand and make sure that uh, EPA doesn't get out of hand. We don't know where this is all going to land at the end of the day, but uh, the letter that was sent out from industry uh, requesting the 3B option rather than just three, uh, we're hoping gets a little traction. Don't know where that's going to be. In meeting with uh, Sonny Perdue at a meeting I was at in Washington, D.C. with ARA, uh, Sonny Perdue uh, recognized the 3B as uh, a push from industry, and he was willing to at least state that they are reviewing it carefully. And, uh, and, and so if Sonny Perdue says that, then at least it's not been thrown out completely, and uh, maybe there can get some traction. We've and, also and for our listeners, Sonny Purdue is, is the, the secretary, secretary of USDA. Right. Yeah. And uh, and and also for our listeners, there are several members of Congress during that same visit. We were lobbying uh, members of Congress uh, to follow through with certain other uh, positions and re- regulatory things that were pushing Congress, uh, legislative things that were pushing Congress to enact. During that period of time, we've identified uh, four or five members of the House of Representatives that are in line with what industry would like to have happen. And they have been taking the charge within Congress, uh, being the champions, if you will, of what industry would like to see. There's a couple of senators that have also uh, signed on to uh, be the champions within the Senate. So, again, we've got some champions. We've got some movement. We've got some push, uh, both from the executive branch in the USDA, as well as within Congress itself, to try to get uh, more industry adaptation of what uh, ends up happening within Congress. So, I don't know, that kind of, any questions that I can answer, I'd be happy to to take those. Well, let me make, so would it be fair to say that right now, while we're while government is struggling to figure out what it's going to do and how it's going to do it, it's kind of the Wild West out there in terms of anybody can claim biostimulant status and make any claims that they want to and and sell anything under the name of biostimulant that it occurs to them to do. Actually, the reality of that is that they should not be doing that. But yes, they are doing that. That's the crazy thing. And they're not being shut down. It, it just blows our mind because we are still not claiming 
biostimulant status. And we're being very careful about what we say. Our websites are still not stating anything about us being a biostimulant. Because we do sell fertilizer. Because we do sell fertilizer. So what we've done through the years is we've registered. All of our products are registered as nutrients and and, uh, and or soil amendments. And so with those registrations, uh, we're moving forward. But we are not claiming biostimulants. It's kind of like that deal that says, I wish I could tell you I were a biostimulant, but I can't tell you that today. But we have all the benefits and all the all the actions of a biostimulant, but I can't tell you that today. And so, uh, you know, please use them at your own risk and do what you will with that information. But we can't tell you that we are a biostimulant yet today. But we hope to be able to do so very quickly and soon. Uh, when you look back at our 40, 45 years of existence at Biohumanetics, then shortly, you know, even eight years would be short for us. So we're happy to wait. We're going to be very patient, but we want to be on the front end, the leadership role in uh, in making a difference in all of this discussion at the at the U.S. and uh, federal level. So you'd mentioned snake oil back in the beginning. <laughs> um, so we've been around 45 years and people have been using our products and we've been growing in sales and everything is, you know, we've been demonstrating what it is that we do and how we can do things better. Uh, but what about the consumer out there? How do they avoid the snake oil out there? What should they be looking for? Yeah, I will say that uh, products that are not registered or that are, are falling between the cracks. Smaller companies that uh, are just selling some Alexa out there. I would, I would say that you need to be careful. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't use them or that there aren't some good materials there or good technologies. It just means that you ought to test it before you use it. Products that have been on the market a long time and have been around a long time, you should have some level of confidence that they must do something and listen to those claims. And if those claims fit with what you need, uh, then we hope that you would utilize them. It, it is still the Wild West, and uh, and you have to kind of shake your head at that. Uh, certainly products that are touting themselves as the new biostimulants, you can know for a fact that that's not going to be very long term, that they're not going to be able to register their products as a biostimulant for many years to come, if not at least uh, you know three or four before there is a true regulatory framework for uh, claiming biostimulant status. And that's unfortunate. It's, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek where you know, you can claim biostimulants and, and what they are, but yet you can't really state that uh, you're doing that yet. Uh, the other comment that I will make is that one of the reasons why we traditionally in the humic and fulvic acid space, the humic substance space, the humic acid and fulvic acid uh, space has gotten that snake oil, is that we really don't have patentable technology. When I say that, there's been a few companies that have gone out and tried to patent a certain, uh, a few things. But in reality, humic substances have been around for at least 100 years. Even going back further, they've been utilized in the past as an alternative to a compost, alternative to a manure type product that uh, farmers traditionally have put on. 
And so with that many years of experience already behind us, you can't really patent it. One of the things that has happened in our industry today is the growth of this microbial uh, circle within the biostimulant realm. The reason it has grown so fast is because uh, a Monsanto, okay, Corteva, can go out and uh, and they can find a microbe that hasn't been patented yet. They can modify that organism to where it can be patentable or its exudates can be patentable. And they're getting IP, uh, patented intellectual property, on, on that particular organism. And it's just fascinating to us to watch this. It's all about following the money. And so the biggest push behind right now uh, biostimulants is coming from the big boys because they see this whole area of microbials as an opportunity for them to get IP, intellectual property, and to also get patents on those that intellectual property that can then be sold to investors <laughs> such as shareholders and boards of directors that they're doing these wonderful things. Well, for a company like ours that's been around a long time and and a technology that's been around even longer, it's hard to get patentable type materials. So we have protected ourselves by using trade secrets. And so long as those trade secrets remain controlled and uh, preserved under trade secret law, then we will be able to have the protection of the law for those trade secrets. Uh, outside the United States, they call that a patent. It's a trade secret patent but it's not disclosed anywhere. A patent uh, under USPTO, United States Patent and Trade Office, under USPTO, you can get a patent and it's only valid for so many years and then it falls off a patent. So the longevity of that is is not great. It's uh, at least seven years. And if you do it right, you can get 14 years and maybe even up to 20, but Anyway, uh, it's not a forever type patent. So they're looking more at the short term. At Biohumanetics, we're looking at the long term. We're looking at another 50 years from now and, and seeing where we could be and what we could be doing. And so we're trying to preserve and enhance the whole humic substance movement as a part of our realm and really the core focus of what we do. We're vertically integrated in that. We've got the raw material mines, uh, a few different types, and we've got uh, the finished products that can go out the door with all of that technology already in place. So we we feel like we're well positioned even under current law, but we look forward to the time when we can s- truly say all that we're doing in terms of plant biostimulants. So I've got to say, there's something that I find deeply disturbing about patenting as intellectual property a life form, (laughs) especially in agriculture, where farmers for thousands of years have been developing things on their own property that helps them do a better job. And all of a sudden, there's something that somebody wants to sell them that's a life form that might help them. But you know, it's like the whole seed thing. You know, it's like they've taken control of the seed. You can't in the harvest same your way. own seed anymore. You That's can't right. improve your own seed. That's and right. That, so it's just something. Does that disturb you? Am I the only Absolutely. one? Absolutely. <laughs> so there's a whole movement underneath all of this that is, uh, you know, the heirloom seed groups 
that are out there. You can Google that on the web and see all these heirloom seeds that you can actually plant, harvest the seed and replant that seed that have not been genetically modified by anybody and that are very inexpensive (laughs) because everybody can get them. But for production agriculture today, they are so reliant on these genetically modified organisms and uh, seed particularly, and being able to go after that. And, and the university money is coming from these large groups that have gotten, that have made millions upon millions of dollars by taking control of these organisms, as you call them, uh, uh, live organisms or even the seed of live organisms. And they are manipulating them and making money from that. Boy, we feel like we're in, in a higher road, if you will, by stating that we are going to stimulate the natural biology that's there that we are gonna stimulate that seed to produce better quality yield and and better, uh, more nutritive food. Uh, we feel like we're in a, in a higher road when we do that. We wish there were a, a regulatory reform that would allow us to say what that higher road really is. But for now, we're willing to ride whatever open door we can ride, and that's the road that we're on on the biostimulant movement, so. Within the biostimulant movement, maybe we can eke out a higher road at some future point in time. But so today, how, it's where we are at. How long do you think it's, it's going to take to get this straightened out? When are we going to have regulatory processes in place in the United States for biostimulants? So if industry's proposal to the USDA to try to get uh, a plant biostimulant czar uh, position in the current budget, then by fall, we'll know that budget. And if that person is is identified and allowed to do their job, the hope is that it may accelerate that process a little bit faster than the six to eight years. And if not, I mean, you can see here option number three, they're projecting four to six years on option three alone. And, uh, and then eight plus years if option four is adopted. So we don't want that one. We need something sooner. Part of it will be how much pressure there is put on Congress to make this a, a reality. And so we would encourage all of our listeners and, and any of our associates out there to, uh, to take the opportunity to write your congressman uh, and let them know, you know what, what your feeling is on this whole movement and to, to push a little bit to make that happen. There's no doubt that we're at least three years away The hope is that with the European Union coming up with their regulatory framework sooner, then that will be something where the U.S. will say, wait a minute, if Europe's doing it, we better do it too. And hopefully it will be better thought out than the EU and better uh, orchestrated than the EU. But uh, if not, then the EU model may be uh, the best that we can get. And certainly for Biohumanetics, where we're uh, selling around the world, uh, we will utilize the EU regulations as much as we can. And uh, we are not allowed to give too much input into that regulation. It's probably going to come out as proposed, and then we'll be able to give input on those proposed regulations. But um, So you mentioned that we are around the world. What's, we are. Do we have a bead on... China, ah, India, Africa. Great point. So China is South America is the third one that is actually looking at doing something, although they have not uh, opened the door yet to do anything. Uh, but they're looking, and that's positive. 
uh, they could move something through extremely quickly uh, if they wanted to uh, because of their regime. And, uh, and the hope is that they do provide some avenue. A lot of raw materials come from China and uh, in this whole realm of biostimulants. And so if China pushes, they could actually uh, beat all of us to the end table. In terms of the rest of the world, I would have to say that the rest of the world is watching and will probably adopt something similar to one of the other uh, big players, meaning EU or US or China. And, uh, and they will follow those guidelines because they're the ones who are exporting their produce into those markets. Everyone is exporting to China, everyone's exporting to the US, or everyone's exporting to uh, the EU. Uh, the rest of the world really is uh, going to be following that because the production for themselves locally is uh, not what is creating the big jobs and the high paying crops. It's, it's the exports that they're doing to those three areas. So I think the rest of the world is watching, learning, and will adopt uh, whatever comes down the road. So to summarize, for the consumer out there, be cautious about being swayed by anything labeled biostimulant right now. Yes. And what they can do to help the pro- problem is to write their congressman. Yes. Does that help? Yes, it does. Actually, uh, they do listen. I, I've been amazed at our small voice that we have when, when we go to the Hill and meet with congressmen one-on-one and talk with them. They're, they like it or they don't like it. And it's fascinating, the discussion that you get into. Uh, sometimes they'll pass you off to a staff member is who's in charge of agriculture and the staff member will look at you and say, well, we're not going to go there. And we just say, okay, well, thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> but many of them do listen and they say, oh, well, tell me a little bit more about this issue. That congressperson will go up and uh, they will learn a little bit more, become more informed, and then they will join in the debate or they will join on to that legislation. And so, oddly enough, it does have an effect on everything that goes on in Congress. It, it really does. Any of the associations that you mentioned early on, are, are those associations that growers can have voices in? There's all kinds of grower associations also, so we don't participate in that because we are not a grower. But like the National Grain Growers Association, the National Citrus Council, the... Uh, I mean, you can name whatever crop, the the Potato Council, every crop has its own lobbying organization in Washington, D.C. that's lobbying Congress. So, yeah, every one of those groups has uh, lobbying opportunities. Every year there's the there's the farmers coming to Washington. I can't remember what the name of that group is called, but they protest down Pennsylvania Avenue. It's quite a fun thing. They drive their tractors down and. Anyway, so yes, there are farmer groups that can be joined, and and uh, there's also on the state level, there's several, you know, the farm credit uh, bureaus, the anyway, all the farmer organizations that they they would be accustomed to hearing from. All right, yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Hemigrow Farmer. Keep following these podcasts for the latest information on enhancing your crops using Humigrow products. Grow healthy.